Greetings, and welcome to the Thirsty Mage, the podcast that's willing to dig up the rotten carcasses of long-dead consoles to find you the very best in RPG gaming. This week at the pub, we take a look at Sony's last handheld console and share some of our favorite titles that are worth keeping a full charge on your Vita. I'm your host, David Lloyd. But before we begin, I just want to remind everyone that you can send your recommendations for games to be covered or topics to be discussed during Last Call to david at thethirstymage.com. Also, if you have a moment after listening to the show, if you'd like to leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. And on the panel tonight, back from calling in sick last week to avoid going through the Marsh Cave once again, NWR Reviews Editor, Jordan Rudick. You know, I was thinking about, uh, I obviously had a lot of Final Fantasy 1 thoughts I didn't get to share with you guys uh, in the last episode, unfortunately. Um, but the, the first half of the game, I actually really enjoy that a lot more than the second half. And I know the Marsh Cave is part of that, but there's something really satisfying about finishing the Marsh Cave and just getting out of it. Yeah, I was sick last week. Um, still, you know, not 100%, very, pretty, getting pretty close to it now. Um, but I, I, I'm worried that the rest of my house is on, on the verge of getting sick. So we're kind of in quarantine here for a week or something. So I'm kind of just catching up on, uh, it's going to be the cycle around. Uh, you're just going to trade it around for I, the next couple months. I guess that's what it is. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of waiting with bated breath for my, uh, my youngest, my three month old now to, to get his first cold. And, uh, that's going to be absolute hell. But, uh, yeah, my, my two year old's got a rash and my wife seems to be kind of like 50, 50, whether she's going to get sick or not. And, yeah, we're all just kind of trying to survive, <laughs> trying to survive the winter here. But um, a good time to catch up on uh, RPGs, that's for sure. Exactly. And uh, we also have joining us for a discussion about a Sony product is Nintendo enthusiast website owner and and Nintendo World Report reviews editor Neil Ronahan. Yeah, no, I'm here to talk about the Vita. You know, we're going in a new direction here at Nintendo World Report. Um, Vita World Report. Uh, that system. I mean, Vita means life. We're going to talk about it forever. Um, anyway, uh, I also agree with Jordan about Final Fantasy 1. I. I think that the... I It's not that the game falls apart in the back half. It's just that I really like that. I like the opening couple hours of that game kind of more than getting to the very bitter end. Um, I, I think as soon as you get the airship, like, I don't know. The, the world feels... I, I get it. I get you know that that fun of it being more accessible, but I, I just find the northern part of the map you open up with the airship is less less. The cities seem less you know full of life or full of um, you know creativity or something. I don't know. I don't know. The, you, you've got that one city where all the mermaids have legs, and they want to make sure you know it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. You got Like I, I know it. I, I know the sequence of events to do as well, but. Yeah, I don't know. I just it, it didn't didn't never struck me as maybe I because I've played the first half of the game so many times I've I've come to love it more. I don't know. I never really feel that way about some RPGs is because usually I don't get full through full replays. So yeah. I like I'll I'll really have those strong memories of the first couple hours that I hold dear. That makes a lot of sense. I think there's only a few games where I really really uh, remember so well the the back half or the. Uh, the latter half and we're going to talk about a couple of them later so i'll save those thoughts but yeah great game that yeah, sounds good well why why don't you get into uh, your drink for the night sure um so uh, the the theme of uh trying to keep my house uh alive and well uh is uh, trickling into my drink tonight uh i'm drinking something called emergency i don't know if i had that <laughs> on the podcast recently but um yeah, it's just like a kind of vitamin C supplement type thing that you put in water and you mix it up and you drink it. So uh, 
We've been we've been going through. Uh, what's the what's, either, what's the APV on that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I'll I'll tell you I'll tell you after the show, Neil. I'm sure I'm sure it's uh, as high as one of David's beers, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, you missed it, David or uh, Neil, I should say, because on the Witcher episode, I was drinking. Uh, uh, I have a, a ginger ale and. Yeah, oh yeah, well, the most Canadian. A, no, no, yeah, Crown, yes, Crown the most Royale, Canadian Crown beverage ginger, ever. Yeah, that uh, that reminds me of what I wanted to bring up. So I've got emergency tonight in, in water. It, it's fine. It's, it tastes a little orangey, but if you put too much water, it tastes like garbage. So you got to be careful. Yeah. Um, but I was gonna say, uh, David, you mentioned Canada Dry that that episode a few weeks ago, um, and I I have Canada Dry and I have sh- I had Schweppes earlier. I think I prefer Schweppes. I, I don't know if I, I do if too. That's, you know. Going anti you anti- unpatriotic swine. I know. <laughs> I yeah, will right? say. I mean, those are those are like the, that's like Coke and Pepsi of ginger ale. Like bo- both are, yeah. both are fine. Um, but I I think I ultimately oh, sure. prefer, prefer Schweppes to Canada Dry. The Canada Dry just has such a bite to yeah. it at the beginning. It's really just kind of punches you in the face, you know. And I think the Schweppes is a little bit more drinkable to me. But next to be telling me that you get Heinz ketchup and not French's. I I do get Heinz. I think French is just disgusting. <laughs> i i don't know like francis french's ketchup is a new thing and i i think it's just years and years of having heinz i i can't go for anything else the any other ketchup anymore so and i, I believe me i love my ketchup i i'm a ketchup fiend but yeah I, when i when i get something that's not heinz it, it's like uh what, what is this you live too close to the american border jordan yeah i guess i guess that's what it is i might as well just uh, hop over and uh, call it a day but drop drop the well and and I remember, remember on that episode too, uh, I had mentioned the uh, Quebec way to get rid of a cold, which is cognac and honey. <laughs> that's right. I, I mean, that's, uh, I haven't, that I, actually sounds the great. Next time I get a cold. Yeah, I do that. I was having a lot of honey, so I just need to uh, up the alcohol uh, content there. <laughs> that's right. Well, uh, for my drink tonight, I'm going with, uh, I guess I'm going unpatriotic too, because now I've got a, a beer that's based out of Germany. Um, I'm going with a Moorbach uh, it's the it's a Kolsch style blonde ale. So it, it with the German beers, I find that they're like the way that they make the beer in Germany. It's very it's that light beer that's that's not necessarily flavorful. It's kind of got like that very smooth taste to it, uh, which I enjoy. But um, I I had been doing some research on beers I've been drinking for the the podcast, and I'm trying to widen my uh my palate or the the stuff that i've been drinking and i i think i've been coming up short on a, a german beer so uh, i'm going away from the belgian stuff i usually drink or the quebec brewery stuff and i went with a german a german ale tonight so i like it it's it's only 4.5 so i'm more sober than normal but i'm sure i'll be fine hold on what percentage did you say four might as well be drinking miller light <laughs> i know it's like less than half that I'm used to, but I should do? be. I mean, I'm gonna be. Uh, I'll I'll be pulling your weight a little bit. I have a Belgian Chapelle Cherry from a local brewery near me, Spellbound Brewing. Um, it's an. Uh, well, here I'll, I'll read the little blurb on the can. We added cherries to our Belgian Chapelle, adding complexity to the beer. Hints of fruity esters from the yeast complement the cherries and bring balance. Golden in color, light in body, with a warming 8.5% ABV, finishes with a hint of honey sweetness from the malt with lingering cherry notes. So that's what I'm. That's Sounds what I'm pretty rocking. good. Uh, I, I have had it before. 
it's it's pretty all right. Sold in uh sold in four packs near me. There uh, there's a nice little. Is it on the sour side? Uh, a little bit. Um, but like it's kind of that nice balance because it is the the Belgian Chapelle, so it's I mean it's a heavy ass beer. Um, but there's that little mm-hmm. bit of like sweet and sour from the from the cherries in it, which I'm. Like, I, I, I am well past uh, my college years where I would, like, drink butterscotch schnapps straight like a demon. Um, but I still do prefer having that little bit of sweetness in, in, a, in a beer. That's usually usually kind of my, my wheelhouse. Um, is But, like, the, there's – it's a very delicate balance because too sweet and it's terrible. Yeah. Well, exactly. What kind of – now, Neil, I, th- I feel like you do often mention fruit – tinged beers or fruit flavored mm-hmm. beers is that am i i'm not yeah no that's that's that. definitely I, um i think that, that is usually it, it like i said it is my preference i i so what would what would make it too sweet then like what, sam adams cherry what wheat a, what is a beer that's too sweet okay <laughs> um that's, that's too much that's going yeah. too far yeah uh like there was probably when i when i was young like like i said butterscotch schnapps straight days yeah like like sam adams <laughs> cherry wheat then um, as I've gotten older, uh, like that, that is way too sweet for me. Perfect. Well, uh, I guess we'll get right into the discussion. So like we talked about earlier, uh, we are talking about the PS Vita tonight. Yeah, I would say the the first half, we're going to be talking about a bunch of games that are on the Vita that we, we've enjoyed or that, uh, are, are best played on the Vita. Now you may be asking, what does, yeah, you know, what does this have to do with uh, the Nintendo Switch or anything like that? Uh, to me, to a certain extent... Uh, it's almost like a blueprint, I would say. Like you, you could even take these uh, suggestions of good RPGs as also like, hey, if you want to port these to Switch, that'd be cool too. Um, these are just a bunch of uh, games that you can't get on Switch that are worth playing. So we just wanted to talk about them and and why it's still worth owning a Vita. And then in the second half of uh, the show, we're going to be discussing one particular game. In fact, uh, Final Fantasy Tactics. Uh, this is a particular favorite for Jordan. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we'll kind of look at it through that that lens of how how the switch is kind of connected to it in a certain way, and how how I would like to see. I know personally the the, the a lot of the the way that the Vita kind of became an RPG uh, machine is kind of the I wouldn't mind if Switch kind of leaned into that. I mean, bit. they they kind of have, but it's in a different way because while well, well, there is totally overlap in some of the RPGs that are on Vita that are on Switch, I mean the Final Fantasy games. Um, like you know, seven and I think eight and nine were also PS one classics on Vita as well. Uh, like there's overlap there, but I mean I'm just looking at our list of games on Vita that are worth purchasing today, and it's a good dozen plus games that aren't on Switch yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like that's that's where I I think there there's there is definitely a Venn diagram of Vita RPGs and Switch RPGs where there is considerable overlap, but there's still a lot that haven't made the jump yet. And I think all of the games we're going to talk about, I would give money for. I mean, I think we're we're going to the the list of games we've come up with here that we're going to start mentioning. I mean, I think so many of them are from other consoles, right? That are just available on Vita. They're either they're on PSP, they're from PS One, or they maybe they released on. Uh, I don't think PS Two classics came to Vita, but I mean, you've got so many games from play, the original PlayStation and PSP that became available on Vita, which was huge, I think, for me. Like, of three, uh, sorry, half the games I'm going to talk about in a minute, uh, they're not Vita games, but they are 
available on Vita, but maybe that's you could be even be the best place to play those games too. Yeah, well, even a few of them are Vita exclusive too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for now. For now. Well, Neil, why don't you kick us off with the games uh, that you found on your Vita that people might, uh, people listening to might want to pick up. So my thing is, uh, I never had a PSP at all. I got a Vita, and that was kind of my first, uh, first foray into the world of Sony portables. Uh, one, Same here. One series that I discovered that I hadn't really played that much of on Vita pretty early on was the Ease series, or or Wise, if you don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, but the Ease series. Uh, I think almost every game in the franchise is available on Vita. The two that I played were Ease Oath and Felgana, which was a PSP game originally. And then I played Ease, um, oh God, Memories of Celsetta, uh, which was a Vita release. Um, Oath and Felgana uh, is is probably one of my favorite RPGs across PSP and Vita. Uh, Celsetta is also excellent. I have not played any of the other Ease games that are available on the system outside of I played like Ease Book 1 and 2 on Virtual Console years and years ago. Um, but they're just like really fun action RPGs if you did play Ease 8 on the Switch. Uh, these aren't like uh, the open, open-worldy open 3D RPG stuff. Like these are all 2D games. Um, but they're all really sharp action RPGs. Stories are generally kind of fun. Uh, highly recommend them if you've never checked them out before. Eight's the one on Switch now, right? Yes. That's the... Eight is the latest one on Switch? Yeah. Or the, I, they, I, I, think I think they're working on summer, nine, but I'm pretty sure eight is... Yeah. I, nine, nine is funny because they announced nine for PS4, and they did not announce a Switch version, if I'm not mistaken about yes. that. Yes. Oh, like, it, oh, that that sucks. I would buy it. It came out in Japan. It was really good. Yeah, it came out. Nine did already. Yeah, oh, wow. it came out okay. back in September in Japan. Um, okay. But yeah, gotcha. I, yeah, like when they announced it, I'm sure, I'm sure they've announced. Uh, I don't think there they, will be a localization. I don't think they but... have. Like I think no? it will happen, okay. but it hasn't been officially yeah. announced because there is all that weirdness with. Um, I mean, uh, NIS America. I know they published eight, but I believe Xseed published a lot of the ones prior to that. And I think there was like localization right. issues. And I believe the full story, because Ease 8 came out and the localization was soundly uh, regarded as terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to get the story like, like throw the wrong company under the bus. Uh, I, Cause I forget exactly who was the culprit for, for why the localization of Ease 8 was terrible, but it did get fixed. But I believe that that left a bad mm. taste in the mouth of Nihon, Nihon Falcom, um, who is the, the Japanese team, or the Japanese company responsible for the E series, uh, that I think they got a little skittish of, of working with that company for localizations. So I think there might be some kind of weird... It, it just might be some kind of like weird purgatory as, as uh, the publisher and developer of the game in japan um takes a more careful look at who is handling the worldwide release of ease 9 yeah i remember that was that was quite a, a controversy or a news story right everyone was talking about how bad it was and um i think when the switch version eventually came which was a little bit after the original uh of ease 8 uh, I, I think it came at the, uh, either after or at the same time as the improved localization so we didn't we go we got i guess the best version of that game maybe yeah yeah um it's a good it's a really good game i i think i, I did the review for it last year it's on it's on nbr check it out it's a really really fun game i know casey's really high on that one too 
Yeah, it was it was NIS America issued a statement personally apologizing for the substandard condition of the game's English localization and announced an update for the game that would fix it. Um, that that is, I just directly read off of the Wikipedia page. Um, and then there was a patch. At least the and I update. think and I think that that yeah, the PC release was also uh, very poor performance. Um, I mean, the, yeah, the Switch version that came out is perfectly fine, but there was a there was a mm-hmm. lot of bad blood before that game. Should I uh, yeah. should I keep going down my list or or should we like throw this around? All right, then I'll uh, Chrono Cross. Chrono Cross is friggin' fantastic. Uh, pretty much the only modernish console that you can play it on is the Vita. Uh, and unless you hack your PS One Classic, which I don't condone, but will admit say, uh that if we were to play the play Chrono Cross, um, for this podcast, like we might do in a few months. I'll be playing it on my PS1 Classic. Um, but yeah, Chrono... I'll probably... I'm looking at it on the PS Store now for 10 bucks and thinking um, I might I might just make the call here and I mean, I'd say, pick it up. I'd, I'd I say that's $10, I know that's we'll $10 too much, David. I would wait till you can get it for free somehow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, the pro, I love Chrono Cross too. The, the music is some of the best video game music I've ever heard. The problem... My, my problem with it, and we'll get into it, you know, when, the, when we eventually get to that episode... I, I, these games where they have so many characters, so many recruitable characters, and that that OCD in me or that anal retentiveness is like I just goes into overdrive. Like, okay, uh, okay, I just got a new character, but he's under level compared to my other ones. Or uh, I don't know how to use this one. Should I put this one in for my current team? Should I just play? Should I just accents. should I play the whole game? It's, <laughs> I know, I know. It's hilarious. I think who would do I think, this? I think what a crazy lot of the, person? A lot of the characters are ch- would make this dumb game, <laughs> and like. Why would a lot you of make the characters are charming. Why and would you make a sequel throwbacks. to Chrono Trigger where it's just like, uh, God, <laughs> you made a sequel to Chrono Trigger it's... where they basically don't acknowledge anything that happens in Chrono Trigger until like the last twenty minutes, yeah, and then it's, it's just kind of like, oh, okay, it's really, it's like good. you kind of really just good. shit all over a game I really liked, but the combat system's yeah. amazing. Um, the combat's really good. Uh, yeah. the, like the soundtrack is is I would say probably the the best soundtrack in video game history. Uh, I think it's worth it's worth playing the game for the soundtrack alone, and there, I I don't know there's another game I would say that about. There, I mean, there is just there is it that game is just completely insane, and like it, the story goes so many places. I'm not saying that the story is good, but like I I bought into it, and yeah, um, I, without getting too deep into spoiler territory, which uh, I assume whenever we inevitably do a, a full episode on Chrono Cross, we will talk about that, but like. It, it is a game that is basically like, yo, y'all like Chrono Trigger? Well, shut the fuck up, and and I kind of respect it about <laughs> about Chrono Cross that it, it's it followed up to one of the most popular and heralded RPGs ever made, quite possibly one of the best games ever made, and it's just kind of like get 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 out of here, like <laughs> we don't we're, we're gonna do our own thing. We're gonna you're gonna play as Surge. Um, you might try to name him Chrono, but that's not his name. And he's gonna fight a <laughs> he's gonna fight a cat man named Lynx. And there's gonna be some some girl named Kid with two D's at the end that's just gonna say Arse a lot. Um, and th- and then you're gonna start to realize that when you change your party for different scenes, everybody has a dumb accent, but they say all the same. Oh God, it's so it's so stupid, and I I love that game so much. But anyway, there's there's also a we'll slew there. of yeah, other we'll there. there's a slew of other PS1 classics 
on the Vita um, available uh, both on the store and also by like uh, getting them on PS3 and then transferring them over, over to your Vita, which was always a weird thing to do. Um, I mean, you can get like Sweek it in Final. It's not an easy Final Fantasy either. games. I remember. The, I remember transferring the games from PS3 to Vita was relatively painless, but also I haven't hooked up a PS3 in like seven years, so it might be harder to do now. Yeah, I did that all during an era where a PS3 was actually a system that I played regularly. Um, but yeah, so so there's there's a mess of PS1 classics there. I I, I did want to call out Colonel Cross, and I think you guys are going to call out some more potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give out uh, more action RPGs: uh, Mirror Masa, The Demon Blade, and Dragon's Crown. Um, both vanillaware action RPGs. They're they're very fun games. Uh, maybe a little booby in their uh, their artwork. Uh, especially Dragon's Crown. Um, Muramasa was a was a Wii game that was very good, and the Vita version is even better. So there's that. Uh, Final Fantasy for the complete collection, which crap, yeah, that was a PSP release, but you can get that on Vita. That mm-hmm. is probably PSP. the 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 definitive version of Final Fantasy four. It includes the After Years, which is kind of subpar, but I mean that core game of Final Fantasy four is is very good. And lastly, Tactics Ogre, Let Us Cling Together, um, is, I mean, kind of a follow-up to our main topic for this episode, which is Final Fantasy Tactics. And I will say, I have not played Tactics Ogre, Let Us Cling Together, because as you might see from when I stop talking as much when we start talking about Final Fantasy Tactics, it's not that I'm, it's not that I think those games are bad, it's just that I, I don't like, I don't enjoy those kinds of RPGs as much. Uh, so I, I've played Final Fantasy Tactics years and years ago, but I, I don't have an urge to really revisit that style of game. I'm not going to be too far off of that sentiment either when we get there. But so. Tactics, oh, tactics Ogre I have to is do all the heavy lifting tonight again. T- tactics Ogre is supposed to be absolutely tremendous. <laughs> the, po- the positive talk heavy lifting anyway. Yeah, um, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I believe Tactics Ogre is probably heralded as Matsuno's best game, although I know there are people that, that absolutely adore Final Fantasy Tactics even even after playing Tactics Ogre. So there's that. Uh, well, I'll get into my list. Um, I actually, I came into the PS Vita very, very late, like after it died, really. Uh, I ended up getting mine used. Hey, there was a new Vita game that came out this week. <laughs> oh, really? Yes, that's, that? right. Um, that's right. Romancing Saga 3 also came out on Vita. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, really? I think Jeez. that's that's probably, that that might literally be the last Vita game. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the worst. If more it's, if more romantic saga games come west, it won't be. Well, yeah. well, well, it's better than ending with just dance. I was gonna so. say I don't think Scarlet Grace is, that might be coming to Vita too. Yes, I think it is. <laughs> I, thought both, I thought they all well, got announced. At it's the all same time. Scarlet Grace is already on Vita, is it? Uh, in or Japan, is this a different version. Yeah, of it? Scarlet Grace, I don't think has ever come west. Oh, okay. Well, that... Yeah, so uh, yeah, my PS Vita it was a used. I got a used one from some shady individuals, uh, but I'm enjoying it, and uh, everything works. It has a battery that works. It has the expensive uh, SD card that works, so I can't complain. Um, so yeah, I, I only got mine a couple years ago, but I'm enjoying it. The so the ones that I I originally bought the Vita so that I could I could play Chrono Trigger for uh, one of the early Mage episodes. I think it was like the third or fourth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's that's where I ended up getting it. I it, I couldn't track down uh, Chrono uh, Chrono Trigger DS. That's actually where my perf- where I was trying to get it, but uh, I just couldn't find you know anyone anywhere. Better that had to find than this. the PS One so, yeah, classic went... version of Chrono Trigger. 
Don't, 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 don't. You know what he's going to say. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, the PS1 classic of Chrono Trigger is complete trash, though. Like, props to you for playing it, but like... <laughs> you know you know, someone's really against mobile gaming when they play that version <laughs> of Chrono Trigger over the mobile version? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no way in hell I was given any money for a mobile game still. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's that's how I ended up. I was like, I will, I will settle for the delayed reactions in the uh, the combat and whatever tomfoolery goes times. with this game. Yeah, that's all right. I I went through it like a retro gamer. It's fine. Um, I also picked up. So after I got Chrono Trigger, I also picked up Persona Four Golden, and I still need to. I I started it. I got through the first dungeon, and um, so I I still need to to play it. <laughs> really but i i was enjoying it and persona 4 golden from what i've heard is the best version of persona 4 and it's only on vita so i think there's only two versions of the game there's the ps2 version um and there may be a ps2 classics version on uh, maybe on ps3 or ps4 i'm not sure about that but uh and then the persona 4 golden uh, version which is vita exclusive uh and i think i think it added a bunch of things that add some social links and um, there might be uh, different, uh, some story editions or cutscene editions or something like that too. But Persona 4 Golden is definitely the best version of Persona 4, um, and I, I think it's a it's it, it's almost a reason to own a Vita by itself because it's such a good game. Um, the fact that you can't get it anywhere else either. Yeah, Persona 4 Golden. You haven't finished it yet, David. About how much have you played? Uh, just the first dungeon. Oh, okay. I got through the first dungeon, okay. and then something came up, and it was I just never got back to it. Yeah. So I'm it's a, still... it's a long, long ass game, but it it's worth seeing through because the characters are so good, uh, and the story's so good. I think, um, yeah, you definitely want to roll credits on this one, um, and I'm I'm curious to see how you compare it to uh, Persona Five because I think uh, I I might still prefer Four actually. Not gameplay wise, but story and character wise. Yeah, I was really getting into it. Uh, I think I it, there was uh, at the time a bunch of reviews were coming up, so I had to put it aside. Yeah. And then it's just a game like that big. It's tough to. I think I had to put it down for like a month or so, and then it takes some courage to get back into it because sure. I kind of like where was I sort of thing. So and then uh, another game I picked up because I'm very susceptible to advertising is I was listening to a Retronauts episode about Sheerhand the Wanderer. Mm. So they convinced me to to pick that up. Uh, it was a funny coincidence because it was actually on like fifty percent off at the time that the show had gone on. So I was like, "Well, this 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 is uh, Sony's uh, giving me an excuse to pick it up." So I, I grabbed that. So that's a pretty neat roguelike. Um, not too far into it because again, uh, one of the common threads I seem to have with the PS Vita games is I start them and then I get distracted. Uh, but I was I I. I've been in the the big tower uh, and went through some a bunch of different levels and it's it's a neat combat system and it's like the whole setup is is uh, pretty neat and uh, I mean having played a bunch of roguelikes on the Switch I have a, a a better affinity for the genre in general just because there's a, a whole lot of good ones on Switch that have kind of uh, renewed my uh, interest in the genre so I've been uh, having fun with that. Uh, another game that I picked up that I haven't really started yet is a Suikoden. I've I've heard good things about that, uh, so I picked that up. And then the last one that I'll I'll talk about is uh, I, I've also heard good things um, about Odin Sphere. That's another uh, vanillaware action, kind of the precursor to Miramasa and Dragon's Crown. Yeah. Oh, and the uh, uh, I just picked up a game uh, two days ago, Vagrant Story. Oh yeah. Vagrant Story, I think we should do an episode on. 
at some point. Yeah, I, I have that as well. Another one. Uh, I I just I, I whenever I see I try to check the play the the PlayStation Store for sales every now and then, and when I just see a game that's on for like fifty percent off that I know I'm going to play one day. And Vagrant Story was certainly something that's been on my radar. So yeah, I picked that up like three days ago. So I was I'm pretty happy with that purchase too. So yeah, a lot of a lot of games that I still need to really dive into, but all of which from from what I can tell, there are the like the Vita's it for now. Anyway, like that's where I have to pick these up. So yeah, they seem to have sales pretty often. I'll just kind of quickly go through a few games um, so we can get an FF uh, tactics discussion. Um, so Persona 4 Golden is definitely one I highly recommend. I we we will we'll I'm looking forward to replaying it. Maybe thing. Uh, Persona 3 Portable as well is uh, I, I think I played that either just after or just before finishing Persona 4. I uh, kind of uh, got addicted to one and wanted to finish the other one. Uh, it's a really good game. I don't think it's quite as good. Um, I think the uh, dungeons are a little bit more lackluster. Uh, but uh, again, good character, uh, good characters, uh, kind of an interesting uh, set of uh, social links to develop there. I, I love That's the thing I love about Persona games is meeting characters and kind of having those interactions with them, you know, learning more about them, forming. Uh, I always think that part. Um, two games which we haven't touched on, uh, The Legend of Heroes, Trails in the Sky, which I believe was a PSP game. Uh, and there's a sequel to it as well, uh, Trails in the Sky 2, uh, which I haven't played, but I've wanted to. Uh, just a little uh, kind of silly anecdote. I've had Trails in the Sky 2 on my uh, PlayStation or uh, whatever the store is, the wish list. I've had that. I've had it wish listed for maybe two or three years, probably since I got my Vita. It hasn't gone on sale once. It's been $29.99. And the first game, Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky, the first game, has gone on sale a bunch of times. And I, so I bought it maybe 50% off or something like that. The second game, not literally not once, has gone on sale, unless I just missed it. But I, I check it, you know, maybe once every couple of weeks or anytime there's a Sony sale advertised, I go in and check my wish list and see if that game is on sale. Not once. I'm like, just put it on sale so I can buy the bloody thing. Like, yeah, I could pay $30 for it, but I guarantee that as soon as I buy it, it'll go on sale. So I'm not going to do that. At one point on this dead system, they're going to have to put that. Wait, um, so so yeah. which which game is it? Because I think what that might be is you. Uh, I think you might be SOL because I mm. think it might have been that it changed publishers. Oh, is that why? That's why I didn't um, put it on sale yet? Uh, NIS America. Buy it. NIS America, I know, took over from XSeed at a certain point. Right, right. Oh, okay, so maybe they're a little bit more stingy with the sales then. Yeah, or they just uh, okay. don't care and they, they might not. They might not even, not even have not right, even thinking about they, it. they might not even really have the rights to that or it just might not be they might not yeah. care because they might I don't know. Yeah, I don't I mean I don't think those games are that old. It's too bad cuz I I think they they're they're all directly connected. I I think there is a a third game in that series either being worked on or it might have got some work done there on it one that the, came out very the, recently um that I think was a Trails port. in the Sky. Um and no, I think it was Trails of Cold Steel. I don't uh, yeah, Cold, Trails of Cold Steel three came out this year okay. on PS four, um, and I think uh, I think they might have even brought the other two games to PS four as well in a collection. But uh, yeah, so that's the other game, uh, Legend of Heroes: Trails of Cold Steel. The first and the second game are on Vita. Uh, I played the first game. I think they uh, were PS three games that also came to Vita. Uh, just really fun RPGs, uh, very long, uh, especially the Trails of Cold Steel games. Um, but a lot of neat things in terms of story and. Uh, bonds that you, uh, bonds that you form with the characters that you meet. Uh, a lot of interesting NPCs to talk to as well. Uh, they kind of give you items and, and uh, have their own little uh, side stories and stuff. Um, 
Yeah, but they, they're very long. These are very long games, the Trail of Cold Steel one. So if you if you do want to play one of those, uh, if you're in for you know, a, a longer game or looking for something like that, uh, maybe you're going on a trip or something, uh, don't don't overlook those if you've got a Vita and haven't played them yet because I think they're really good. Uh, these are all Nihon Falcom uh, games, uh, which is... Uh, Same as these. Uh, I don't know. They, they seem... Yeah, they they seem hesitant about putting games on Switch. Uh, so I, I you know I, I was holding out hope that, uh, and I still am, that we'll get Legend of Heroes, uh, any of those games coming to Switch. Uh, that would be really nice to see. But uh, Trails in the Sky, it's a little bit more uh, kind of cartoony, almost uh, maybe 2D uh, perspective to it or top down. Um, but really got has a lot of heart to it. The Trails of Cold Steel is more like the students in an academy type story. So if you're more into that, uh, you might prefer that series over the Trails in the Sky. But uh, definitely have a look into both series because I think they're very interesting and good RPGs. Yeah, I think I think part of the problem with the the Legend of Heroes games coming to Switch is more that like Nihon Falcom, um, you know, they only have so many developers. So I think they've, yeah. they've been focusing on the Sony development for a while. And it's hard mm-hmm. for them to audible that quickly without that... Uh, you know, like external support, which is why I, I think that's why Ease 8 wound up coming to Switch is because I think they had help with it. Um, and it's possible that the Trails in the Sky and Trails of Cold Steel might not be like that, I guess maybe that prospectively successful of a release to draw the attention of people to port it to Switch, which, you know, maybe that's the right call. Maybe it's not. Um, I don't know if we totally know. I, I would love to and see like all those said, games they... on Switch. They might be hesitant about farming stuff out after what happened with the yeah. localization of, of Ease Aid, right? So, yeah. uh, kind of mixing all those things together isn't a good recipe for uh, games coming to the Switch. But yeah, I, I mean, I, they're really, really good. I think they would do pretty well on the Switch. You know, they uh, they were sent to the Vita, and I, I can't imagine they sold very well on Vita. So, if you're using that as a litmus test, it's uh, maybe uh, also a negative in that in that uh, that situation too. Yeah. Well. I th- I think that's a pretty good list, or a pretty good list of reasons why you shouldn't give up your Vita if you've already got one. No, for sure. Or uh, also, uh, if if you don't have one yet, and you come across uh, one that doesn't cost you an arm and a leg, it might be worth picking up. Um, I guess the one big thing if you're in the market for a Vita is the memory card because it is proprietary. It's you can't just stick an SD card in, and I I know when looking when i was doing my homework for ps vita that was the one big kicker is trying to find one that has the card but then also like they come in different sizes and i think the smallest one is like uh offensively like four small gigs. size like <laughs> yeah so it's like you, you can pile it up pretty quickly so uh you just want to make sure that you're getting one that's going to suit your needs and uh, uh and then i guess you've got uh, i guess we're not really we've got the there's the two versions of the PS Vita. Uh, the three of us all have the earlier version, which has the OLED screen. And I know later on there was an LCD screen version that was the PS Vita Slim. So it's um, I'm happy with mine. I've heard that the OLED screen is better, uh, but the LCD Slim is uh, a little more convenient or a little more comfortable to hold. I guess with the the difference between the two. I don't know if the pricing is really different uh, on either one. If you're looking in the, like the used market or whatever, but uh, that's that's one other thing that uh, to do some homework. So definitely worth doing your homework because I I bought mine on a whim and I kind of wish I had done a little extra <laughs> a little extra work, but I I still I still don't regret my purchase. I mean so I I, I wish I bought mine thing. earlier. I wish I bought it at launch. I I just, wasn't thinking about the Vita very much. I was still 
um, you know, very much in, into the Nintendo handhelds. And but yeah, if you're an RPG fan, there are so many bloody games you can get on Vita, uh, and and often at a discount too. So uh, you know, the, the game we've only mentioned a you know a dozen games here. There are there are many many more that are worth playing. I would say as well. You could have a full Final Fantasy collection on your Vita, and a lot of those versions are still pretty good. So. Uh, and again, you can get them probably cheaper than anywhere else uh, as well. So, yeah, if you've got a Vita, hold on to it. If you don't have one, consider getting one if you can get if you can get a deal. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't pay like two hundred bucks for one, but I, I think I paid about one hundred and ten Canadian, and it came with a memory card and a game. And I, I thought that was a pretty it was in pretty good shape. Uh, this was about three years ago. I was happy to get it, and I'm glad I did. But yeah, the Vita is something that. You know, it's going to be overlooked. Obviously, it didn't have a lot of first-party support um, or AAA support, but it's a great kind of retro machine to have because there's so many older games uh, that you can play on it. So, yeah, yeah. props to the Vita. You know, not, didn't uh, didn't do very much, but I'm happy to have one. takes us into the main topic for the evening and uh it's it's not like we don't suck up to square enough uh, on this podcast but we are going with another final fantasy title and that is final fantasy tactics and the original version of this launched uh, january 28th 1998 for the ps1 in the west anyway that was the the release time i'm not sure the the version that that you were playing jordan but uh, the one i the, the version that i'm playing is the one that was made for the psp which is final fantasy tactics uh, war of the lions i ended up finishing the game on that version i have both on my vita and i i i was in about 30 hours into the original um and th- i don't know when i started that save file maybe a couple years ago but the, the the game that i finished for uh for our podcast tonight I did play through on the War of the Alliance. It took me about 28 hours or 30 hours. So I, I, I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah. And I mean, you could uh, you could tell me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that there there's a bit of optimization from the original uh, in the War of the Lions. I guess the, I think the battle sequences are a little bit faster. Uh, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I know they also added in, there's cutscenes in the War of the Lions uh, that are actually uh, have voice acting, which I thought was pretty neat. And um, the it's funny the animation's kind of simple, but it's it's actually quite beautiful. I, I'll like correct the, you the on I'll they... correct you on one thing, David. They they improved the localization, um, and yeah, I think they added a few story beats and some side quests and things like that. But the the way the game runs, at least on Vita, I'm not sure if this is the same on PSP, but um, the attack animations are slower in World oh, Lions than com- compared okay. to the original. The original. Uh, like summons or different, you know, all the abilities have pretty flashy attack animations, or a lot of them do. Uh, they're they're significantly slower. There's a lot of slowdown uh, in the War of the Lions version, so that is kind of an unfortunate part of the. Uh, yeah, it's too bad. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not um, super. It doesn't. I don't know. I I I don't. I think people blow. No, I think people like, blow it out of proportion. But it's 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 noticeable, especially if you've played the other the first version. But it's it yeah, it's not game breaking. It doesn't take you out of it too much. It's just a little annoying. Yeah, um, and I guess well, we should get into what the game is. So essentially, it's—I mean, it's got the Final Fantasy name, but it, and it is based on. Um, so this is done by uh, Yasumi Matsuno, 
and you might, uh, if you've ever played Final Fantasy XII, uh, that's uh, one of the writers from there. It's actually the same game world as uh, Ivalice. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no no overlap in the stories. And uh, Matsuno had started, uh, we talked about it uh, earlier in the show there, with uh, the Ogre Battle Tactics Ogre. That's kind of where he started. And uh, it, yeah, it's very much a strategy game. This this is the this time was the first time I've ever played something like it. It it kind of I don't know if if I'd say it's like a simpler version of Fire Emblem in a like in a certain sense, but it's kind of that where you you've got an isometric map. Uh, there's tiles throughout the on the map and different elevations, and then the characters move based on speed. And and, and yeah, you essentially it's. Most of the time, it's there's either like kill everyone on the on the map, or there's like one specific character that you need to target. And, and uh, maybe Jordan, you can take it from here because sure. I know. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple you, other. You're more of a fan of that style than I. Yeah, than I, was. I, I I like the elevation actually because it it rewards you for uh, good positioning, right? You can use archers and put them in a higher spot, uh, and they'll be able to shoot like halfway across the map, or maybe almost all the way across the map, which is kind of neat. Uh, I like the way that your attacks have ranges and you can hit multiple characters with spells and summons and things like that. Uh, You can use a cure spell that targets a character. And even if that character moves, the spell will travel with them because spells aren't always cast right away, right? Sometimes there's a time where you have to wait for. Um, The funny thing about this game is it is so incredibly dense. There are so many aspects of the game I don't even understand uh, in terms of the, the... uh, astrological sign that your character is born under uh, and you choose that I think you choose that at the beginning of the game and it affects uh, different statistics which can affect your uh, you know viability for certain classes or how strong you're going to be physically or magically um, there's all those things I don't I don't fully get I know they're there uh, and if you want to put hundreds of hours into this game I think you can um, what I really like about it is the job classes um, and you know, very reminiscent of something like Final Fantasy V. But uh, what happens is you start off with basic classes. You know, um, a chemist is kind of like a, they can use items. A white mage, black mage opens up. Uh, a knight, a squire, you know, uh, you kind of classes you're all very familiar with that don't have a lot of, you know, super powerful abilities. But as you earn job points through performing actions with one class, you open up newer classes or, or maybe stronger classes like, uh, ninjas, calculators, uh, monks, geomancers, dragoons. Um, and sometimes to get some of the more advanced classes, you need to be proficient in maybe three or four different classes. So there's a lot of switching up of job, uh, job classes if you want to open up the newer ones. So you're kind of, the game kind of forces you in a way to experiment and to try new things. Um, the story is very kind of dark, political, realistic, grim. Um, not something you might expect from a Final Fantasy game. There's not that uh, same um, overarching fantasy or sci-fi element to it. Uh, it. It is very similar to Final Fantasy XII, actually, in terms of its setting and what's going on there. Um, yeah, like Ma- Matsuno, yeah. Matsuno totally has a style. Um, sure, And it, and sure. it comes yeah. out um, with a plum in Final Fantasy Tactics. I think it's probably... I mean that that's how I learned about like the Matsuno style and then saw it pop up across other games that he worked on over the years. With the with the connection to Final Fantasy 12, like I found cuz Final Fantasy 12's story was mostly grounded uh where it was kind of like battles between kingdoms and that sort of thing and then 
it's kind of similar like the tone that i was getting from final fantasy tactics is kind of the rich versus the poor in a sense like at the beginning of the game it's it's there's you have the the elite who are looked down their noses on like the working class mm-hmm. um and then you have the two main characters uh with uh, ramza and delita where ramza is like a part of that ruling class but he's friends with delita who's the working class and how that there, there's a clash of worlds yeah there's that but there's also like the church that's trying to seize power for themselves and kind of at, at the end of a war between the different factions in the in the in Ivalice, they're kind of trying to emerge as or, or maybe back the side that's going to win so that they can have power for themselves at the end there's yeah there's the class struggle there's the different um it's almost like an east versus west kind of thing in terms of politics and territories but i mean this is this is the game it's so dense in terms of these stories and different families and groupings that i think it's very hard to find it's pretty hard to follow actually because you're 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 going through this story and it takes so long to go from beginning to the end and there's a lot of kind of backstabbing and and deception and and uh, kind of flip-flopping and stuff like that there's also uh, at least uh, two or three time jumps as well or time skips where things kind of mm-hmm. happen and then you take over you know in the aftermath of that a few years later right so and maybe, maybe your party's different or you recruit different characters at that time and yeah, man. I as a kid, I can't I can't imagine trying to follow this original version on uh, when we when I first played it on PlayStation at a buddy's house. But um, yeah, for me, it was always the gameplay that really grabbed me. The story is I think it is, it is interesting, but it's it's very very dense. And you you learn so much as you play. Like I almost felt like I wanted to restart a few times because you you find things like. One of the one of the strategies that I learned early on was the like staying for that job points that you had mentioned. Yeah. Certain job classes will garner more job points, so it's actually advantageous to stay in certain classes early on, so that you could build those points towards the the bigger classes. Um, the other part that I found interesting was that uh, I think I actually talking to you is uh, helped me just like I had kind of discovered it on my own, but you had kind of illuminated it yeah. for me. Where uh, the crystals on the battlefield are are incredibly important yes. to growing uh, quickly, and one of the things I found is that I would kill the enemy so quickly that the the crystals weren't appearing quick enough for me. So I I would end up finishing the battle before having an opportunity to get them. Yeah, you got to leave. So, you got to leave one person alive so that you, that you wait a few turns till the the bot the dead bodies become crystals, and then you can get those abilities. So. You, you got to leave a, one guy alive and hope they don't kill themselves or, you know, try to attack you and then you counterattack them or something, which is kind of annoying. Yeah. But Or or in the case that I was playing, like the enemies were picking them up and yes, I was like they, screaming at yeah, them. Yeah, they can do <laughs> like, that too. So you, what, what, yeah. what, I, what I did try a couple times to avoid that, you can ca- if you're a time mage, you can cast like immobilize to stop them from moving or just cast stop and then the, they can't take any actions at all. So you can find a way around that. But yeah, man... It, the systems like that are so interesting, right? Like that you're right. That is a way, a good way to catch up. Like if you kill a mage character on the enemy team and wait for their crystal to drop, you can get a mage related ability that they owned or that they had learned and put it on your mage or put it on a different character. So if your knight picks that up and then they switch to a black mage, you'll already have that black mage ability that they picked up from a crystal. So you do, there's a lot of advantage to doing that too. Well, and the other thing that I learned the hard way was with the mage. So if you're casting some kind of spell like fire mm-hmm. on the enemy, 
it doesn't attack just the enemy. It it it's like a plus. Like there's yes. like the center square tile, but then it also affects the 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 northwest, east south sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Where if you're standing there, you'll be attacked too, even if you're an ally. Yeah. Because they're when I first got the mage class, I sent the attack on the enemy, but then I sent my knight in to hit him to soften him up. And then my knight was killed by the mage. Yeah, no, it's it, there's a lot of opportunities for fun, friendly fire in that game. Uh, like you could target, you could target an enemy, and the enemy could walk beside you before the spell is cast, and then they know that it'll hit them, but it'll also hit you as well. So um, I think the AI is generally pretty good in that game, which makes it pretty challenging. Um, but the, the one of the problems is the game falls apart a little bit in the fourth chapter. Uh, the final chapter, because you you have access to these super, super powerful characters that join your team and they make the game just incredibly easy. Like they're basically uh, like a push A to win type character. Uh, there's a couple of them that you pick up at the end. And it's it's a little unfortunate that the game <laughs> kind of gives you that. Like, I think the difficulty curve is it, it's it's a good challenge up until that point. The first three chapters. Uh, then there's some hard battles where you have to go back and kind of reevaluate your strategy, maybe open up a new job class or get a few new abilities or something. But in chapter four, when you get these new characters that are overpowered, it's it's just a cakewalk all the way through. Like you don't even need to worry about Ramza or any of the other characters you were you were developing. You could kind of just sit them on your bench and just go go with these. To, or Orlando is one that you pick up. Um, He's a character that appears in the game before that, I think, or maybe it just appears in chapter four. But when you get him on your team, he's just so broken. Yeah, and it's it's funny because I I can't really think of a game that's like it that I played before. I guess the, the, the only thing I played lately that's kind of like it is there's an indie game that just came out called Felseal. Yeah. Um, and and it, it felt quite like the Final Fantasy Tactics uh, to, to a certain extent, like the way that you you kind of need to get close to um like like i guess with fire emblem like the difference between the fire emblem strategy and the final fantasy strategy is uh, with fire emblem i felt like you didn't need to be as like right as close to like i guess i don't know if if the arena size was just bigger in fire emblem Mm -hmm. oh yeah for sure um like that's probably part of it i also felt like with fire emblem i could be more strategic in having like i didn't have to with tactics i felt felt like the best way to win was to kind of just go full tilt because i was struggling early on with with the battles and then i kind of got mad and just like okay well like i'm just going the particular mission i was in there was only one guy so i'm like okay i'm just going to go straight at this guy like the whole team is going after him from turn one and i think i had failed like three times prior to that and then it just mopped the floor with them yeah and and it kind of the light went off in my head. It's like, okay, let's do this again. Let's try the next one. And all of a sudden, I was just like walking through battles. And I'm like, I couldn't believe the difference between trying to be strategic in my positioning where and not maybe worrying about the attacks right away and kind of buffing up my characters or whatever. And then realizing, okay, it's good to get a few people off the map early. Yeah. And then and then kind of chip away at the rest yeah and i think that's one of the great things about the game is that there are a lot of stages where that you can win just by kind of bum rushing the the opposite the opposite team uh or going straight for the character that you have to kill to win to as the win condition but you'll find that uh in, in more challenging maps that that won't always work right it, it, it'll they'll they'll change it up or maybe 
Uh, the placement of the enemies will be such that you have to defend, be a little bit more defensive or maybe cast some spells on yourself first before you move in. Or you might need more ranged fighters to, uh, to be successful. Um, I think some of the really story-heavy battles, uh, maybe near the end of Chapter 3 or beginning of Chapter 4, are very, very tough. Uh, and you can't necessarily just run in. And you do have to have the right classes uh, for Ramza and for your other characters too. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's 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 got a good amount of variety to it. Like, I feel like they're maybe, again, by chapter four, I think you've kind of figured out what's going to be happening. But the first three chapters of the game, there's a lot of different things that are thrown at you. Uh, and I think it was, it was funny when I was doing my research on the game, uh, I came across the fact that Final Fantasy Tactics 2 was actually started. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mat- Matsuno and Sakaguchi actually began developing with um, at the time, they were working on Vagrant Story, and um, they, they I guess they were kind of just chipping it away at it on the side. And then it was around that time that I guess Square was kind of playing with the outsourcing of projects and decided that was one they were going to hand off. And uh, according to according to Matsuno, they were just they just decided to give up on it. Um, I know one of the problems was uh, they were originally developing it as 2D because I guess they were having they were struggling with the 3D development. 2D would make it Fire Emblem. That's the funny thing, right? Like yeah. The, the, the way they use elevation in Final Fantasy Tactics, I think is one, that's one element that we haven't really seen ever again. Like, you, you get tactics games, but I, there aren't very many at all that use elevation in that 3D space, that 3D confined space to such good effect. I think, again, that's another thing that makes the game stand out so much. I Like, I mean, tactics is also kind of emblematic of square in a in a pre Final Fantasy VII world, because um, tactics uh, I forget the exact timing of the Japanese release. I know the the North American release. I think what did it come out months before Final Fantasy? VII? Uh, North American was early early ninety eight, and then, and then and Final think, Fantasy VII. Uh, Jap- Japan was uh, late ninety or June twenty June ninety seven. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it came out right before Final Fantasy VII, then because Final Fantasy VII was like fall ninety eight in America, right? Either, yeah, so. either way, uh, re- in, regard- Japan, in Japan, it was it was January '97. Okay, okay. Uh, se- September, September. So this was just okay, okay. Later. So yeah, I mean, either, either way, I mean, regardless of exactly when Final Fantasy VII came out in relation to it, the, the games were in development at the same time, um, and I think that might yep. have uh, kind of stunted the tactics too, because it is such a it's such a departure from what Final Fantasy what what everybody claimed to love about Final Fantasy VII. Final Fantasy Tactics was decidedly not that game. And I think that's part of the reason why a Tactics 2 probably became a backburner project. Because even if you look at Vagrant Story, which is a game that I don't think I ever finished. I know I played a little bit of it. But like Vagrant Story is, is much more flashy than what a Tactics 2 would be. And I feel like that was kind of... Well, I'm sure uh, Sakaguchi would have been a little busy around that yeah, time. Yeah, too. I mean, that was also when they were... they they. If you think about how long it took to like get Final Fantasy 15 out, what in the late nineties they had se- they had seven eight nine and ten out within like a five year period like that's insane um yeah uh, like I mean like Square during that era like I mean just there wasn't really time to mess around with things that weren't going to be huge projects and and that's why I think I think Tactics two kind of faded away then they had the the Final Fantasy Final Fantasy Tactics Advance the Game Boy Advance game which is uh, utterly bizarre because it's like about like kids have like some kind of like daydream i forget exactly it's so it's so different from the playstation game yeah the funny thing right like it's not a sequel at all 
it's om- it's almost a spin-off, right? Because it's got the the judge system where you can't do certain yep. actions in the battles, and it just has a much more obviously a much more cartoony or lighthearted visual style. But just I think the, the story, everything about it is lighter than the yeah, PlayStation it, it's One. The whole thing where it's basically bloody. kids like get mystically transported to evil East. Like it's just it's so weird. And then yeah. War of the Lions. all the different races and stuff. Like, you're yeah. not just playing as humans, you know? Yeah. And then War of the Lions, the remake. And then there was, uh, like, what, Tactics? Uh, there, there was, A2. Yeah, A2. Um, and I think that I think that was it. But <laughs> it's it is, such a weird... It is a series that, like, it just it, it had a weird life. And I, yeah. I don't know if there's ever really an expectation that it will return in any kind of way. It, it would be nice if they were to... Yeah, I mean they they've basically done HD ports of every other Final Fantasy game on PlayStation One. Might as well do one for Tactics next. That should be what we're asking for now that Final Fantasy Eight got its, its time in the sun. I mean, I I, I can't really see them doing another version, considering they already have War of the Lions, right? Like, I, you go from PlayStation One, then you do it's not a remake, maybe more of a remaster or something with War of the Lions, but. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I think I'd rather see another game in the series, like do do a, a Final Fantasy Tactics three or something like that, or, or reboot it entirely. I don't know, but it is a series I'd like to see more of, and I I, I wish there were more games like the first one because I, I think it is it is the best one in the series for sure. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Matsuna won't be around. He's busy working on. I think he's about six or seven years into Unsung oh, Story. Oh God, is that even? Oh my god! That still being still going. It's actually not dead. <laughs> yeah, Kickstarter. I don't, I, don't even want to res- I don't even want to respond. Like, are are you like, are you a backer? It's so depressing to hear that. <laughs> um. Yeah. It was uh the the Kickstarter for Unsung Story was in early 2014, set for a 2015 release. Currently, <laughs> yeah. Currently, it has an an ETA of Q4 2020. So that's. That's not a thing, I believe. That's something. That's yeah. Something. That, that's that's like what's the farthest well, away that we can make it with with it still seeming like we're not just stealing <laughs> people's money. Um, I mean, ho- so it's I, coming to PS Five, right? Yeah, I, I hope Unsung. <laughs> I hope Unsung Story actually comes out because I'd lo- I'd love to see a new Matsuno game, and I'd love to not see a Kickstarter be that much of an utter failure. Uh, as I feel like that's a perfect game that may end up being picked up by a publisher. It already did. It got picked like, up by Little Orbit. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. Which is, Never mind. Well, which is probably one of those things. You you're right, Little, David. You're right. Who is Little Orbit? <laughs> That's yeah, because right. it, it totally. I mean, it, it like the Kickstarter part of it like didn't didn't work out. I will say, if you were hungry for some bite-sized Matsuno action, uh, the 3DS eShop game Crimson Shroud is is kind of fantastic. Uh, there's like, I re- yeah, didn't uh, our friend just did a. Uh... Didn't they do retroactive? I, yeah, yeah, I think they did. Um, I, I, I recall Guy being a fan. Um, but yeah, Crimson Shroud. I think he was. I'm probably Guy. If you're listening to this, I apologize if you weren't a fan of Crimson Shroud. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's gonna be shouting at his yeah. uh, his podcast player. Like. Uh, I think it was relatively short too. Yeah, like five yeah. There, there is. I, I do recall there is a, an utter horseshit part of that game where I think like you're dependent on a random drop. Um, but other than that, like, yeah, I like the, that, uh, yeah. I mean, like the story's su- surprisingly solid, and it is kind of this like very fun lightweight RPG that has a lot of those Matsuno flourishes. I mean, like the like the story, the story, it's it's a Matsuno story. Um, I had a lot, I have fond memories of that game. 
All right. Well, I think uh, unless uh, Jordan, do you have any final? Yeah, I, to... I do want to add a couple more things. I was, I was listening to the soundtrack for FFT this afternoon, and um, I don't think we've heard a Final Fantasy soundtrack with the kind of gravitas and maybe melodrama that this one has. Like there, there is nothing lighthearted or whimsical or kind of bouncy about any of the music in this game. It is all very, very uh, dour and serious and militaristic. And you're meant to feel like, you know, there is death is surrounding this game, right? Deceit, death, destruction. This is not a this is not a world you want to live in. Everything is bad here. Really, people are fighting tooth and nail for survival. Uh, families are being broken apart and deceiving each other, right? Like brothers in, in the Beulf, uh, Ramses family, um, there's at least one, uh, one or two backstabs in that, uh, in that family that happened. Um, and I, I believe at the end, Ramses is the only one kind of left standing. But um, you find that out earlier on by the very end. But uh, yeah, the, I think the music's really interesting. I, I think it's uh, very atmospheric. And I think it plays really well for the game. But it's, it's not necessarily the kind of soundtrack you would listen to without playing the game. Like, I don't know that it's super listenable. Uh, it's all on Spotify, actually, the entire soundtrack, which is cool. But uh, um, I, I only enjoyed listening to it this afternoon because I had already gone through the music and I was remembering the scenes where different things are playing. Uh, so the music's an interesting part. Um, again, we talked about how just how many systems there are, how dense this game is. There is monster catching that you can do. You can have chocobos on your team. Uh, the War of the Lions version added multiplayer, uh, which I'd, I'd love to try at some point. I think it's hilarious. Um, there's so many side characters that join you that can die. Uh, there's one character you get really early on. He's a, an engineer or a machinist. He has a gun, Mustadio. The stupid thing about the game is to get to get all uh, so many of the extra characters you need to have Mustadio alive. And I realized that he died maybe, you know, 15 hours earlier in my playthrough and I didn't have him. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get Cloud. I'm going to get Balthier. I'm going to get all these new characters. But I couldn't get Cloud from FF7 in my Final Fantasy Texas game because Mustadio had died. So uh, they kind of gated all of these uh, extra characters off by uh, uh, this one character that you get early on. So that kind of sucked for me. But um, yeah, there's just a lot of side content, a lot of extra things you can do. Uh, you can do missions from the pubs that give you that give you extra money and give you extra job points. You can raise your rankings in different, uh, like uh, you can become a better treasure hunter and stuff like that by doing those uh, extra quests and stuff. Like, uh, there's just so bloody much to this game that I feel like you could play it multiple times in completely different ways and have a pretty different experience. So, um, yeah, I I I feel like in 2019, Final Fantasy Tactics is not a game a lot of people are thinking about or talking about maybe uh, for a good reason on square not doing anything with it but uh i i hope a podcast like ours can kind of shed some light on a game that's really really good and definitely worth playing it won't be for everybody but i think it has a lot going for it i think the job system is uh, one of the most enjoyable uh, and satisfying to, to progress through uh, of any game that i've played so uh, maybe for that reason alone it's worth digging into especially if you're looking for a more serious and uh, weighty story as well. Yeah, it certainly allows you to be creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, There's a lot of customization and variety to it. You, your, your final party at the end of the game in Chapter 4 could be completely different from someone else's, right? Like, just in terms of uh, the job class stacking that you can do, right? You can be uh, a, t- a you know, 
a ninja using two swords, but you might also have summoning magic and yeah, there's just all these cool things you can do. This is the last call for alcohol this evening. Drink up, drink up, drink up, and order again. This is the last call for alcohol. Get going. Well, uh, that music uh, means it's time for last call, and uh, this week's topic. I feel like that needs a bit of a description, though, because uh, it's it's not quite a clear-cut question, per se. But with the new console generations uh, coming around the corner, it seems like Sony has kind of given up on, on the handheld console. Like, they don't, they don't seem too worried about it. And obviously, the Switch uh, is portable, you know, the Switch. Um, and, but then Xbox is also, they, they don't, I don't know if they've really said if they're going to have, like, an actual portable device or if it's just you'll be able to use the x cloud system that they've set up to stream your games to like your mobile I device mean, sony, or, or something of that sony nature been doing that before microsoft ever did just like yeah, uh well, they, stre- they streaming your with... games uh, sony's been doing that before microsoft ever did <laughs> yeah but has it really worked that for, like this, i mean like play, I, I playstation now... actually worked properly until playstation recently. now is uh i mean it's it's always worked pretty well um and then they they made the price a little more competitive and in line with Game Pass recently. Uh, but how but how yeah. are you playing PlayStation Now portably though? Oh no, you could do you could do remote play. Remote play sucks, man. Like I I, I did a couple times for. Uh, I mean the mic the Microsoft opportunity or also kind of blows. Yeah, um, I mean I, I get these aren't these aren't ideal. I guess I'm not. Yeah, you're right. They, they are there. Yeah, but they're not I've, they're I've, not good good ways to play games. I used to play Madden on my Vita. By playing remote play on my PS4, it was fine. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. I I don't know. I never I never got it to work well enough. I mean, like that's my thing is that I I think that the the Microsoft and I mean I I don't have that much experience with the Microsoft option and I haven't touched remote play on on my PS4 and my Vita in probably four years. Uh, but the fact <laughs> that those things exist, like I don't think there is a rush on behalf of Sony or Microsoft to really implement any uh, to to put the resources into any kind of handheld development when they can kind of offer that to the people who are really into it and then not worry about like doing the R&D for a complete new device. Um and and I th- and I think there is refinement like the the PS4 remote play from what I understand it, it it has kind of steadily improved. Um I can't talk to how great it is. I know you can do it on your mobile phone with a virtual D-pad. You can, like, that's apparently a thing that they added. I, I don't know if it's, it might be iOS only. I forget. Like, like that's, that's silly and kind of pointless. I guess, so the question for last call, I guess, would be is that if one of the two, like, if Sony or Xbox put a legitimate effort into making it feel very Switch-like, would that give them the advantage over the no. other? So you think it's, it's Switch, Switch has that space and they're just gonna they're happy to let nintendo uh, live in it i mean i think in microsoft's case they have uh predominantly shown the world by the fact that ori and cuphead and banjo um is playable in smash brothers that they don't see the switch as direct competition um microsoft is after different things than what nintendo is and I think that kind of that's, that's that true, kind of makes it's... them unlikely partners. But it's also I don't I don't think there's any world where Microsoft would ever even remotely consider 
making a hand a dedicated handheld. Because I just my thought process behind it was like in the last generation, you know, there were Sony and I would say I don't know the numbers, but X like Xbox 360 did pretty well in the West anyway, and. I feel like where things really fell off fell off the rails for Microsoft is when they launched with PS4 and they charged a higher price because of Connect. Like no, I mean, I mean not yeah. only did the Connect make it cost more, but it also used up resources. And then they realized that but the Connect not, was that's not the not thing. not really the story of the Xbox One's failure. The story of the Xbox One's failure is when they came out with all their like we're delivering a service where you're used game you can't sell back your games and everything. And that, mu- <laughs> yeah, so that stupid, I mean, yeah. I mean that yeah. well, the, insto- help, yeah. the entire story of what was that E3 2013, like that was just Microsoft taking L's after L's after L's over that. And it was such an yeah. infection, even though they reversed basically, I mean, I, I, yeah, they did still bundle the system with the connect, but I don't think that was ultimately the, the, the thing that sunk that system. What sunk that system was the negativity that spun out of E3 2013. And even though they reversed uh, some of the most preposterous things and honestly some of the most preposterous things have kind of come true over the past couple of years that that negative discussion just funneled out i mean even if things were corrected microsoft still never never rebounded from that and you could argue that they are still they are still paying for don matrix hubris in 2013 in 2019 and um, yeah, I mean, they they were trying to be everything, right? They were trying to be the all in one entertainment box. They were focusing on TV and maybe even trying to have their own proprietary shows and stuff like that. Like they weren't focused on the Xbox as a gaming device. They wanted to be Xbox is the only thing you'll ever need. Don't Xbox won the all in one right? entertainment device. That is yeah, legitimately and, and, what yeah. they called their system. And they and the Xbox gamers at the time, everyone who bought a 360, that's not what they wanted, right? They, they these were people who wanted their sports games, they wanted their shooters, they wanted their maybe more hardcore experiences, right? And and then Xbox in the next generation is like, no, no, we're just going to be everything. So don't you know? I don't know. To be fair, right. that's what you know, that's was, what everyone was doing then, and, and yeah, and it I know. turned out that I mean it was the future in a way, just not in the way that you know Nintendo with the Wii U and Nintendo TV. God, shut up, cat. But um, I mean, I'm they, talking, you're on I'm the talking E3 about the stage, Wii U here, right? Cat. <laughs> That's right. You're on the <laughs> E3 stage and to, talking to your dedicated gaming fan base about what it's going to be. Yeah. And you, you, you're not focusing on games, right? You're, you're focusing on everything else, but and yeah. The, the, but the, the, the whole like not being able to share your like buy a game and not be able to bring it to your friend's house. That, I mean, that stuff was so stupid at the time. Right? Yeah. Like obviously, obviously they had to, they corrected course and they've, you know, I think I probably have a, a a good a good opportunity in the next generation but we'll see um but just to get just to get back to your question david like you know about microsoft never had a handheld device right so they're for them to do something like the switch now i mean they, they don't i think it's too too late right like if, if, they, if they maybe at some point in their uh, gaming console lifespan they had made a dedicated handheld fine but i think they seem content to be working on streaming things working on subscription services and uh, games as a service and stuff like that. So I, I don't see Microsoft ever doing it. Um, I think I think the idea of a Sony Switch-like device is interesting. Uh, and there was something that came out today, you know, very, very rumorish, very, you know, up in the air, not sure exactly what it is. But there was a patent for, uh, I think a Sony patent for uh, what looked like a gaming cartridge. 
And, and you know, the Vita used cartridges for its games, and so I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think there's a zero percent chance that. Uh, sorry, yeah, I think there's a zero percent chance that Sony does another handheld. Um, but if they did, I, I think it would be a partner device to the PS5, where maybe some of your PS5 devices can be played on this portable console. Uh, and you know, if PS5 is going to be truly backwards compatible with everything that came before. Uh, that would make some sense to have a portable device as well, uh, kind of like the Vita with its uh, if its ba- backwards compatibility or ability to play such a, a wide variety of older games. Um, that's that's what I would like to see on it. But my 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 vote, I guess, is for let's see some of these games we just talked about in this episode. Let's see more of those games come to Switch. Let's see Sony do. I I don't think they're going to, but let's see them do something like Microsoft and say, hey, like. We can make money by selling our games on Switch, which we don't see as a competitor. So, yeah, let's just say, hey, you know, Persona 4. Yeah, okay. Atlas, give us some money. You know, buy back those exclusivity rights or something. Uh, and then put your game on Switch, right? Maybe do that with other Persona games or, or the uh, the Suikoden series and other PS1 era games. You know, uh, Final Fantasy Tactics could be a great game on Switch. But I mean, I, I actually... Uh, I. I think a lot of those PlayStation games are tied to the publishers, not a uh, not yeah. Sony, so they're not even exclusive. It was just it would involve Konami being like, "Oh, hey, we got Suikoden still." Yeah, I, I, I guess that, that that's what I want to. That, that's ultimately what I want to see. I want to see games that are Sony exclusive, and maybe they're not beholden to Sony anymore. But I'd like to see those games come to Switch instead, rather than Sony doing their own handheld console. Because I, I, it'd be nice to just consolidate a, uh, a library of games all on the Switch. You know, that'd be that, that would be the, the the vote for me, anyways. I guess even if they came out with a a new handheld, it's, there's no guarantee that all of these would necessarily end up back on that console anyway. I would I would consider it for sure if they if they came out with a Vita two. Uh, given the fact that I I regret not getting a Vita at launch, I I'd probably buy a Vita two just because I again if it had the access to the older games. With a better screen, maybe better battery life, better hand, maybe better form factor, and maybe its own its own proprietary games, and maybe some connectivity with PS Five. Like I said, uh, I, I would be in for something like that. Like I, I I I prefer handheld gaming. Like I bought a bloody Switch Lite. We have three Switches in my house now because I want to play the Switch Lite portably all the time. And so I I would I'm, cry I'm, laughing if they called it the Vita <laughs> Two. It was so hey, remember funny. Remember that system we yeah. just kind of like released and then let die yeah we're making a second one 10 years later yeah it would be great <laughs> it would be it would be like if nintendo's next console was the virtual boy 2 well i feel like the switch has given them a bit of a roadmap of because to me like the Vita you're not gonna fail because it wasn't offering the console experience but what are you gonna do make, like make switch, a playstation you're 5 experience. portable you're not gonna be able to make a playstation 5 portable you you can't even really make a ps portable without like extreme compromise like like sorry I, I it's not a repeatable task to be like we got wolfenstein working on a switch like that's not that's not yeah. something that you can ex- like expect every company to do and like that's why i think with with sony and microsoft's goals for their their home consoles you're not going to be able to have the synergy that the switch has between handheld and on tv without major compromises which no, neither of those companies are in a position to to let happen like that's, I mean, that's why I just don't think, even if I think at this point, I'm just uh, like, I'm way more, I mean, I'm very content with the Switch. And I think if I had to pick between the two, both currently and looking to the next generation, um, I would get an, I would get the next Xbox before I'd get a PS5. Um, I look forward to the next year of both companies marketing to me to see what one I will buy if I buy one. 
Um, but but right now, uh, next Xbox is where I'd go. Um, so the idea of a portable Sony, a new Sony portable, is kind of unappealing to me. Both in that I'm not as into Sony stuff right now, and also have you seen how they handled the PSP and the Vita? Like, not a lot, of, not a proven track well, record of support, and I just I don't think it doesn't fit yeah. into their portfolio right now. Much like we've seen third party publishers. Like your EAs, your Activisions, they used to publish. Um, I'm gonna kind of throw out a random number here, but I don't think it'll be that. I guess more the Gulf is what I want to accentuate here. Um, like EA and Activision used to publish, let's say, 50 games a year um, across multiple platforms. Now EA and Activision, I think between the two of them, probably publish a dozen, maybe a dozen games a year between both publishers. When they each used to do dozens and dozens of games a year. And that's because the focus is more on kind of narrowing your portfolio. And that's that's something that Nintendo's doing. That's something that Sony's doing. That's even, to a degree, that's something that Microsoft is doing. Um, and I just I don't see that happening. I mean, we're still reaping the effects of smartphones and, you know, the, the iOS app store just completely decimating um, handheld gaming as, as we know it. As we knew it, rather. That's why I hate mobile. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like that's that's, I, I honest, honestly, like the the advent of the advent of mobile gaming is why the 3ds was less successful than the DS. Like, it's not, not I guess like a, a 100% direct corollary. There's more that went into it. Um, to that same extent, that's why you know the Vita wasn't as successful as the PSP. And I think part of the reason why Sony probably put the R and D into it, released it, and then kind of realized like, oh, this ain't worth it. Um, and that's that's why they backed yeah. out of it so soon. Like that's because mobile, mobile dollar for dollar is more profitable than doing R and D to make your own game. And I think Sony's doing mobile games too. I don't think they've released a lot, but like it's there. They made a knack. I don't think they're doing. I don't think they're doing all that well. I, I you're right, Neil. They do exist, but yeah, I think they're very uh, you know, middling. But you know, what if what if the Sony came up with the PS5 and that was it? But then maybe a year or two after, they came out with a portable version of it, uh, kind of like the Switch Lite, where you could play PS5 games. They're going to look like PS4 games. Maybe you get 1080p, maybe 30 to 60 frames a second, something like that. So there's compromises on those games. But if the PS5 is fully backwards compatible, you're going to have people playing games on a system that is way overpowered for it. So imagine I'm playing my PS4 games on my PS5, I'm still happy with that PS4 experience. So if they believe that their customers don't mind what the, the, kind of the level of quality they're getting now, in, in two years, if you had a portable version that could do full PS4 games like Death Stranding or something like that, or, or Horizon Zero Dawn, like, but that's, I don't know. It's not, it's there not might a be simple, an audience for that. But, the, but the, that's not a simple switch. Like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like... It, think oh, we're about talking about six Switch. years after the Switch, right? We're talking about six years after the launch of the Switch. The tech might be there, but 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 it's not even a tech issue. It's just a raw development issue. Because if you look at the Switch right now, um, you make a Switch game, you are developing for three specific instances. You were developing for uh, handheld, tabletop, and docked with every game. Like like that is something that. I don't even think really gets talked about as much as that. Like, it's not just you're making one version of the game. You have three versions of the game that you need to test. So having said, like, it's, yeah, you could theoretically have it be like, oh, it's just going to run like a PS4 game. But like, that's an, an entire other layer of testing. 
that's going to be optimization for that specific experience. And I just, I, I, it's something that I, I mean, I don't even really see it. Like, like it would it be something that would appeal to me. Yeah, probably. But as far as from a like profit cost perspective, like I can't imagine, I'd like it. Sometimes it baffles me how the addition of the switch light then adds, you know, I guess, well, I guess there's only one more instance of that, that you need to create the game for. I, I don't know exactly how the, the switch, the switch light stuff works, but that's even why the switch pro stuff seems kind of baffling because if that's going, if there's going to just straight up be like, uh, you know, a, another switch that's going to have uh, like better specs in docked and handheld and tabletop, then you are effectively doubling the amount of instances that you need to develop a game for the switch for. Well, and we've already seen that some of these developers aren't even bothering to a certain degree to differentiate between them. Like, how often have we seen a game running on handheld mode where the text is like yeah. itty bitty because it's it's developed for the TV and they're yep. not they haven't scaled the text to, for the experience like yeah like there's a handful of games like that where and and yeah I could see that becoming a problem if if you start like if you take something like Death Stranding and then all of a sudden like you've got this text that was meant to be seen on like a 50 inch 4K a TV example. and then you've and now you're trying to read the same text. Like if they're not, it, it's not just, a, I guess it wouldn't be a simple port of just like, oh, just shrink yeah. it. Because then all of a sudden, like you're you, squinting you know at how, the screen. You know how remote play was a janky on. ass situation by doing uh, playing a PS4 game on a Vita? That's that's what you would get. Except for hopefully, you know, the, the, the streaming tech or whatever would be better. Like that's, like it just... I, d- I don't see the 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 cost of of research and development and QA and everything that would go into that that kind of idyllic system. I I don't see the math ever working out. I mean, in a in a perfect world, I would I would love to have a PlayStation experience on a handheld. And you can buy the Nintendo but, Switch. <laughs> I suppose. I I, mean, I, I, I can I play Final Fantasy Seven on my look. Nintendo Switch. We're good. Yeah, but I can't play play. I can't play Persona Five. That's or what I'm saying. Put Death more, Stranding put more or... of those games. Get rid of these deals. Like, if Persona is a series locked on Sony, like Sony, let go. Let let Atlas pay you money to let go, so we can have those games on the Switch or, or just somewhere else. You know. Yeah, I, I'd imagine there's more to it because then you've got Persona Six coming around the corner, and what kind of mon- monetary benefits are there to keep the, keeping that as a an exclusive I'll be on to Sony? See and... How Persona, like like how the Persona, I think series Persona developed. Six is a long ways away. Yeah. Well, I'd imagine the next one would be uh, Project Re Fantasy. Is that coming to Switch? Well, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a Sony exclusive, but I'm. I think I don't think no platforms have been announced for that. But if it's not, I mean, I know I I don't know the exact specifics of whatever the Persona deal is, but I know that like whatever exclusive Sony has with Persona is specifically numbered Persona games, um, in in the RPG genre. So Project Re Fantasy would would likely not be a part of that exclusivity deal unless it is a separate exclusivity deal. Well, we're still waiting for uh, SMT5 on Switch. Yeah. We haven't even seen uh, okay. seen the game in a so, long time. So I will I will I will give y'all a correction on that. You know when that was announced? That's when it started development. Like I think they just said like it's in development. That was two and a half years ago. That's a giant but RPG. They showed, didn't they show but they showed footage. Yeah, yeah, it was like 30 seconds of footage running in Unreal Engine, a new engine that they just started working in. I thought they showed gameplay. Uh, they did. They did later. I think they, they showed oh, gameplay was it later. Okay. From, okay. So, yeah. I mean, 
just just like think running about under it. a bridge or something. You know right? how like there was that uh, that Nintendo Direct in 2013 where they were like, "Here's Zelda and all these other games," and like those games took like four years to come out. That's because they were all because they panicked. Nintendo was like, "Here's everything." With Shimigami Tensei Five, like we basically saw that game like weeks maybe after it was like greenlit in in, in production. <laughs> So the fact yeah. that we haven't heard anything about that, like, I mean, let's let's think about, um, it, like, SMT five is, uh, I forget, I I forget the specifics of what that team is, but if we look just at the, just say it's the same team that worked on four and four Apocalypse, they've been making games on 3ds. They are making a game for HD consoles in a brand new engine that they haven't worked on. That game's taken at least three years, and um, by early next year. That will have been three years since they started development. So I would assume we'll probably hear. I'd like. I I think that's probably a 2020 game in Japan. Um, and maybe yeah. maybe in America. I, I like. I forget what the the distance was between four and four apocalypse. I think it was only a couple months. So I guess there's an outside shot that we might see SMT five. Um, maybe maybe holiday 2020. Um, in Japan and maybe America. But I I just I want to correct the notion that that game is undergoing any development struggles. Or is is being delayed because from what we've been shown and presented, like it's just, it's in development. Yeah, there was something on Twitter or social media somewhere about the uh, someone who's working on the game saying, "Yeah, you know, it's coming. We're getting there." Like, yeah, I think you're. I think you're right. Yeah, I don't think it's in any trouble, but I, I do wish they would show a little bit more of the game or say say something concrete about it. You know, I, I just want more information about yeah. it. If it's coming next year, that's great. But um, it is a game that. Even if you show, even if you announced it around the same time you just started working on it, it is still a game that's very highly anticipated by a lot of people, considering how strong the previous games were. And I think the fact that we're getting, um, it, it sounds like we're probably going to get uh, Persona Five S before SMT Five comes out. It's kind of funny, right? Because that, well, that I mean, game well, that's obviously... that's that's announcement structure, and and. So SMT5, I would see as an outlier, pay attention to how Atlas is specifically uh, the Atlas in Japan, because uh, the mm. gap between um, Western or Japanese releases and Western releases is sometimes makes it seem longer. Like, for example, um, like Five Royal is, I don't know, sometime next year. But but you look at Atlas Japan and let's use uh, Persona 5 Royal as an example. What that was officially announced in March and it came out in October. I think that's that's their typical like we are going to announce and reveal a game it's coming out later this year here's the release date that's kind of how they announce games um smt5 probably bucked the trend i mean it was probably they had a spot in the nintendo switch event and wanted to show something and they were like okay we're gonna make an smt5 we're gonna make smt5 on switch um let's let's show a little bit of it to tease people um, but mm-hmm. but under I mean I, I want to say with SMT four and SMT four Apocalypse, um, for their original releases it was probably like oh yeah this game's coming out later this year and then shortly after that it got a release date and probably from announcement to Japanese release was nine months. Were those 3ds exclusives both of them? Yes. So there is maybe um, a, con- a continuance of this idea that all the SMT games will be Nintendo exclusive and all Persona games will be Sony exclusive. And maybe that's just the way it's always going to be, right? Like there was hope that Persona 5 was going to come to Switch. But again, if SMT 5 is not coming to Sony, 
why would they why would they do that maybe they're always going to keep them separately i mean and and uh I'll, I'll i'll whisper it i don't really mind because i like smt way more than persona be a good idea you whispered it i don't know that uh <laughs> i don't know that there's t- i mean i'm sure there's there are people that agree with you i think they're both great games i think they're very very different though I just um the the visual novel school stuff of Persona like I I played a ton of three I just have no urge to play that kind of game again. Um, four I I've tried getting through four multiple times and I've bounced off it every single time. I'm sure I'm sure five is wonderful. I don't really have an interest unless it comes to Switch. Well, that's kind of the uh, the theme of the night is hopefully there's all these games over on the Vita or on the play or on Sony in general that end up on switch and i mean if it's anything if 2020 is anything like 2019 i think we can expect a bunch um the ports haven't really slowed down yeah. so plus i mean you've got sony and microsoft kind of preparing for their next console right so it doesn't make a ton of sense to be putting stuff on ps4 and xbox one necessarily uh when those systems are going to start selling fewer and fewer as people get ready for the next ones why not put it on switch which has all the momentum momentum right now well, it'll be interesting to see how many lights sell over the holiday period, too, so the install base could be higher in 2020 for the... Uh, the Just switch. wait for Animal Crossing, man. That That's going to launch uh, a thousand lights, that's for sure. What, uh... Say th- what, thousands and thousands of lights. If, if we could, if we could, uh, screw it, I'm, I'm, I'm taking over. Um, so, related to Animal Crossing, if you could pick one Final Fantasy character to live in your Animal Crossing town so you could interact with them, do favors for them, um, who would it be and why? If there was a Final Fantasy character in Animal no, Crossing? If you could have a Final Fantasy... <laughs> can, we, can we save it for the next last call? <laughs> that sounds like a, that's a perfect last call. Okay, okay, uh, okay. Question. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah isn't Hodgepodge, Neil, right? isn't Hodgepodge next? Yeah, it's just a Hodgepodge. Okay, yeah, well, we can we'll do whatever we, can we think want on it. But, but, but That's I'll, perfect I'll for it. Hodgepodge, actually. I'll, I'll pose it again for, for everybody. I, I guess send in... St- what is it? Uh, uh, what's your email for the Thirsty Mage? David, say it again. Yeah, David at the thirsty mage.com. Yeah, so uh, you can track us down at NintendoWorldReport.com yeah, as like well. Yeah, tweet, like tweet at me if you really want to at NRON10 with your uh, what Final Fantasy character would you want to live in your Animal Crossing town and why? I want reasons why you want Sephiroth to murder everybody in your town. <laughs> well, you just answered the question. <laughs> it's just like, how, how else am I going to get that giraffe to leave? <laughs> That's right. No, it's good. Yeah, we'll save that for last. I don't think we had the last call for we next did, week. We did. So I'm that, looking that at the like schedule right now. We didn't. So that's a really good one, actually. <laughs> there you go. Well, and if anyone at home, like you said, uh, wants to wants to contribute, we'll read it on air too. So send it in. Either send it in to my email or uh, to Neil's uh, Twitter or uh, the Thirsty Mage on Twitter as well. There's there's plenty of ways to get to send, us. So. Send all of Make them sure. to Neil. <laughs> <laughs> that he can read, he can read them all on air. I'm so excited. In the next recording, please do. Yeah. No, no answer. Two nuts. There's, it's, it's open. I'm going to be thinking about this all you... night. So thanks for that. Neil. Ah. I'm going to get <laughs> Alrighty. Well, uh, I guess that's a good, good time to end the show. Uh, like Neil was saying, next week we've got uh, a hodgepodgery of different games that uh, have come out over the last uh, I should few get months back on, that I may should have get flowed. back on the ring fit train so that way i can yes. be all, all ready to go <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm over my yep. cold yeah, it we're... is time to squeeze a ring in me too yeah so let's uh yeah, me and neil are gonna have a ring fit uh ring fit off uh yeah the week, uh, the week <laughs> ahead here so but uh yeah if you uh ring fit hero uh, ring fit hero 
Uh, Neil, I think you're going to talk a little bit about Little Town Hero as well. Yes. I'm to hear more of your thoughts there. Yeah. And yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit about Outer Worlds. Yeah, I'm, man, I'm so curious about that that's, game. That's Everyone one I'm talking I'm, to says it's awesome. I'm so excited that's coming to Switch, even if it's, I, yeah. I know, you know, it'll be totally compromised, but like that just seems like the kind of game that I would want portably. And soon too, right? It's supposed to be uh, by the, the end, end of, of March next yeah, by year. The end of Q1. March, I'm, isn't I, it? I would love that to be like my segue into Animal Crossing. That would be cool. That would be a great, oh, be such a good January, February game. Heard, it's, like, it's like 15, 20 hours long. Like I didn't realize yeah. how excited yeah. I would be over an RPG that's like, oh yeah, it's like only like 20 hours. Uh, yeah. Well, light spoiler is uh, I, I think it'll work on a, on a handheld device, but I'll explain why. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Very good. Alrighty. Well, I want to thank you gentlemen for uh, coming, coming on tonight. And uh, I guess we'll see, we'll see both of you at the next episode. Yeah, next I'll be week, back so. to drink and talk about RPGs. I'll probably end up with a, another double amber as per usual. So I, I hope to be, I'm looking I hope to have to very it. sore arms and legs from uh, getting my ring fit on this week. I, I took a little bit of a break cause I was sick as well, but uh, man, I'm, I'm looking forward to going back to it. I had a, I had a good good week of playing it, and I look forward to to hopefully not getting a cold again and yeah. being completely beaten down. Um, you might want to have a Gatorade for next episode, there. Joel. Yes, that's right. Put, was it Casey who brought on a Gatorade the other time uh, a few weeks ago? <laughs> Do the electric lights. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen, and uh, I'll say uh, thank you to everyone for listening, and we'll see everyone out at the next Thirsty Mage. Bye. See ya.